All right. Good morning. Good morning. If you want to make your way back to your seat and take out your Bible, stop being so friendly. We need somebody to sit on the front row. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being such a friendly and hospitable church. You know, we've been able to get away with not having an official hospitality ministry, uh, but you might not know because you guys are so friendly. Thank you. Um, Thank you for making church a great place to come every Sunday. So take out your Bible. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to pick up in verse 36. Now, we were on elders retreat this weekend, and uh, we had some conversation and some picking around how many verses you're going to read tomorrow, Johnny, because we're covering chapter 24, verse 36, through chapter 25, verse 46, and if my math is mathing correctly, that's a lot of verses, and next week, we're covering all of chapter 26 and 27, and that's about twice as many verses as this week, so we're not going to read them all, but that doesn't mean I don't care about the Bible. So that's the risk, right? I read all the passage, and I'm just scared that one week I'm not going to, and they're going to go, I knew it. He's a wuss, and he doesn't want to read these hard verses, and you know, I thought he liked the Bible. I do. I love the Bible. Big fans here at Shalford, but I'm not going to read all the verses this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to read a couple, the first two sections, the rest of chapter 24, and it's going to lay out for us the theme that all of chapter 25 picks up on, Okay. And then uh, next week, I'm excited because we're going to cover all in one message, kind of the final days of Christ. All these things, it's just rapid succession happening in his final days of the Lord's Supper and his betrayal and standing before Pilate and his crucifixion. And then in two weeks, I'm excited for you to hear from one of our newest elders, Jonathan Flower, is going to be preaching all of Matthew 28 for us. And I'm very excited for you to hear from him in a couple of weeks. So this morning, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read verses 36 to 51 together. Now, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master's delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God, give us ears to hear your word this morning. Help us to receive it in our hearts. We pray that we would be changed people because of it. In your name we pray, amen. 
don't know if you have a calendar, if you use a calendar or what kind of calendar you use. My wife is still very analog and likes a written calendar. She likes a planner every year where she can write and plan it out only so then she can take out her phone and put it on our shared calendar so I can have it on my iPhone. Uh, But I I think, I I don't know how in college I looked forward to the day when I would be able to actually have things to put on a calendar, and now it feels like I have way too many calendars. You might feel the same. I have one for myself, one for my family, and one for work, and then I get calendar invites, and I just don't respond to them, quite frankly, and maybe I should be. Maybe I should be sending more calendar invites, Uh, but people, I'm like, we texted that we agreed to this, and then I get an invite on a different email, and our calendars are so full. Your, your life's probably very similar. Full calendar, constant, 24-7, your life is probably scheduled. Things are always going on in our lives. We're always trying to find time to fit more in. You're like, what's the number one thing we say to each other during the greeting times? Like, oh, I'm busy. We have a lot going on all the time. And busy is not just a season anymore, it's all the time. Well, about 500 years ago, there was a guy who lived named Martin Luther. And he talked about, on his calendar, he, he would preach and teach and he would say this, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day. This day and that day. Now this day is the one he was living in right then. It's the one you and I are in today, this day. That day is the day that's talked about here in Matthew 24 and 25. It's that day of Christ when he returns. That day when we meet our Savior face to face. Martin Luther said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day, and I think he's getting that from this passage. I think the point of this passage is how you live on this day shows what you truly believe about that day. How you live on this day shows what you truly believe about that day. And we're gonna see three things from this really long passage. Be alert, be faithful, and be hopeful. Be alert, be faithful, and be hopeful. And we actually have some different parables that illustrate these points. And it's like, he talks about being alert, he talks about being faithful, and then he goes back to alert, and then he goes back to being faithful. And then at the end, there's one big parable that kind of sums up what's going to happen at the return of Christ. But to dive in at the very first point this morning on being alert. How you live on this day shows what you truly believe about that day. And what Jesus says here is how we should live on this day is we should live alert. He, he uses this word in verses 42, and then in 44, he says, be ready. He uses the illustration of Noah, because no one believed the message of Noah. No one believed when Noah said, a flood is coming. They hadn't even seen rain at this point, and they're thinking, you're crazy, and he's building this massive boat, and then all of a sudden, it comes, and they were what? Unprepared. Then in, verse, in chapter 25, the first 13 verses are uh, a parable about what was a first century, probably a marriage ceremony tradition. And maybe your version says uh, it's, it's about 10 virgins. Well, it's helpful to understand what's happening in the context here. This was a, a ceremony where 10, think more like maidens, maybe kind of like bridesmaids, And they would wait and they would have their torches and they would usher the groom from his house when he would get close. They would walk with him and have a lighted path for him to then walk in to the marriage ceremony. It was a part of the processional. It was a part of the ceremony. And they had a really important job as a part of that wedding. And what happened is they went and then it was delayed. And when the groom was delayed, some of them brought oil and some of them didn't. So then in the middle of the night when it was time to light their torches, some of them weren't ready and they couldn't play their part in the wedding. And Jesus uses this parable to say, be ready, be alert. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 says this. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake. Friends, we, on this day, have to live wide awake. Be alert. Be alert and don't sleepwalk through life because your Lord is coming. He is coming again. And I think the temptation is to say, like the servants do, oh, the master's delayed. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. He's not coming back. Jesus is, you know, yeah, maybe he'll come back one day, but he's not coming back today. And we kick our feet up and we make ourselves at home in this life. I've heard it said that preaching is both afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. And I think in this passage, Jesus is trying to afflict the comfortable a little bit. Hey, you're a little too comfortable in this world. Because we tend towards forgetfulness that Christ is definitely going to return. We might meander through life leisurely as if, eh, I don't have any urgency. Jesus may or may not come back. I can live how I want. There's plenty of time for me to get things right. He understands. He wants me to have some fun in this life. We settle down and we make ourselves at home in this world. And I think the encouragement invitation for us is let go of this world now or it will be pride from your fingers then. How you live on this day shows what you believe about that day. If you wanna live with a tight grip around the things of this world on this day, then on that day, your fingers will be pried off of the things of this world because you cannot keep what you have here. So let go now. Don't get caught unprepared. The wise are prepared for the delay. They're prepared for the groom to maybe not come immediately and they have oil to be ready. The foolish, though, are unprepared. I remember when I was in the eighth grade, we took a big overnight field trip to Savannah, Georgia. And it was one you looked forward to all of middle school. And so, uh, you know, of course, you're, you're trying to get your group of like three or four friends. And one of our moms was going to come be the counselor. And my parents let me go. And we were thrilled. It's like overnight, we get to stay in a hotel room with just our friends. This is going to be amazing. So we get to this hotel room, we travel all the way to Savannah, and we get in our hotel room, and we decided very early on, we're not sleeping, but very intentionally. So at like 11, we were like, we're taking showers for the next day, and we're getting dressed, and we're not sleeping all night. Well, we had a full day of stuff the next day, and so we, this was not like we lost track of time because we were playing video games. We didn't have, I don't know what we did all night, but we stayed up all night until about five, and one of us dozed off and woke up really quickly, and he looked at us and he said, hey, have you tried falling asleep? It feels really good. <laughs> she closed her eyes for a second, and we closed our eyes and we went, that does feel nice. <laughs> Slowly but surely, we all fade off into sleep. Until the next morning, when we were supposed to be down on the buses at 7.30, uh, no less than an hour later, we're hearing beating on our door from the eighth grade teacher. No one wanted to wake you up, and she was violently yelling at us that we better get up and get out of the room immediately. We had stayed up all night, so then we were so tired that we overslept. Everyone was waiting on the buses for an hour for us to come out of our room 
And we walked down, we were proud little 13, 14 year old boys that we made everyone wait for us. We were completely unprepared for the day. We were exhausted for the rest of the day. We made everyone else wait because we weren't ready. We were unprepared. And that's exactly what I thought of reading this passage. The wise are prepared and the foolish are unprepared. And I think what you see here, especially in uh, chapter 25, the first 13 verses, is the maidens who don't have oil turn to the other ones and they say, can you share some with us? They say, no, I need this. I came prepared. I brought extra for me. I didn't bring extra for you. And, And that's because preparedness cannot be shared or transferred. Do you get that? Do you have a friend who's a doomsday prepper and you go, I don't need to prep because I'm going to John's house. And John's thinking, he ain't coming to my house. But, but in the spiritual world, don't you know? Don't you know my parents? No, no, my parents were, I was raised, I was raised at the church. We don't go so much now, but I, I, I was there. Like my, my, my grandma is super religious. Like I, I've, I've done that. My parents are, are very involved Friends, you can't use the readiness of your parents. You can't use the readiness of your family. You can't use the readiness of your spouse. You can't use the readiness of your church. Are you ready to meet Jesus, your Savior? I'm I'm super involved in my church. No, no, no. You and Jesus. Are you prepared to meet him? You, You can't transfer that preparedness. So, Friends, we, we have to wake up. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Let's live wide awake. But then that begs the question, what does it look like to stay awake? What does it look like to be alert? And that's the second point of the morning, which is be faithful. Be faithful. Being alert, being ready, being prepared looks like being faithful on this day because we know that day is coming. This is verses 45 to 51 that we read, but it's also the parable of the talents in chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. A master is going away on a trip, and he calls three people to him and gives them five talents, two talents, no talents. I mean, one talent. And then he says, I'm coming back. They invest, they invest, he buries it in the ground. And then he comes back, and they've doubled their investment, doubled their investment, And then he digs up his investment, and obviously he's done nothing with it. So so we have these stories of servants in in their master's absence being called to faithfulness, and some are faithful and some are not. Both of these sections highlight the blessed servant who is doing their job, or the good and faithful servant who has been faithful with what his master entrusted to him. Now, here's the difference. The unfaithful in these stories lose sight of who was returning. If you want to be alert and be ready, keep your eyes on who is returning because those who are unprepared forget exactly who it is who's coming back. Matthew 24, verse 48 says, if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed, maybe they think he's not coming back. He's forgotten. He doesn't care. They took the delay of their master as an excuse to live for themselves. And then the unwise servant doesn't invest his talent because he thinks his master is too harsh. Do you remember what what he says here? Master, I know you. 
You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. This servant didn't even understand the character of his master. But the faithful, on the other hand, know who is returning and know what their master has entrusted to them. Our faithfulness is fueled by a conviction that our master will return and is fueled by a desire to honor our master. As we wait, we have a calling. As John Piper says in the title of his book, don't waste your life. Now what does that mean? That doesn't mean you do everything and you so burden yourself with all this Christian activity that you say, I didn't waste it. It means you do what only you can do. Now remember the master gave Five talents, two talents, one talent. We all have different talent. We all have different ability. We all have different gifts. God's not expecting you to be someone else. He's expecting you to be you. So to not waste your life means you have to be uniquely you. And if we take the view of verse 24, that our master is harsh and gonna reap where he doesn't sow, What that means is we're not trusting the God who entrusted gifts to us. Man, God doesn't know what he's doing asking me to do that. I actually think I might know better than him, so let me come over here and bury this investment because if he really knew me, he knew I'd blow that. Or maybe we get that the other way and we think, God God just wants me to do this? Serve in this little way? Doesn't he know that I I can do more, I can offer more? So then we we stretch and we grab and we strive for way more than God called us to. And God has entrusted gifts and talents to us. We talked this weekend on our elders retreat about saying no in order to say yes. Making room in our lives to offer our best yes to God. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, are there good things in our lives that are crowding out the best things God has for us? Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, listen to this, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. There are things that only you can do in the kingdom of God. Because God has gifted you and wired you. He has fashioned you in a way that is unlike anyone else to ever walk this earth. You are his masterpiece, I think is the word Eugene Peterson uses in Ephesians 2 verse 10. You are God's masterpiece. Created one of a kind. I mean, he could have copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste, and he didn't. Each one of us are different and unique and there are good works for you to do because he's entrusted a unique personality to you. He's entrusted spiritual gifts to you. He's entrusted strengths and abilities to you. And and the question that this passage has for us is, are you gonna be a faithful steward of that on this day knowing that that day is coming? Because that's what it means to be alert. It means to say, Wait, God's asked me to do something. You are called by God to be a unique member of his kingdom. Living out the good works that he's prepared for you to do. Where do you live those out? In your everyday life. And here in our church family. So, live by faith today. Take a risk.
step into something you're not sure you're ready for because you know the Spirit is in you, empowering you to do things that God's prepared for you. Take a risk. Step out. Follow what God is putting on your heart to go do for his kingdom, to serve others for the glory of God. So we're being alert. We're being ready. We're being prepared. And we're being faithful. We're being good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. And then the last step is be hopeful because your Lord is coming. We need to be alert because he is coming. We need to be faithful because he is coming. We need to be hopeful because he's coming for you. This last section of chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, tells a story that's not always easy to swallow. The Son of Man comes, all nations are gathered, and a great separation occurs into the language Jesus uses of sheep and goats. And all throughout this passage, and all throughout the chapter, and the end of chapter 24, we see two kinds of people. Those who are alert and prepared and ready and faithful. And then we see those who are not prepared. Those who are not alert. Those who are not faithful. In this passage, Jesus adds a few more qualifications. He talks about those who are alert, prepared, ready, blessed are also those who are loved by Jesus, and they love Jesus because they love the least of his followers. And then those who were not prepared did not receive the least of his followers. And now in this passage, Jesus is showing us that these two groups have two distinct eternal destinies. First, to those who know Christ, Jesus speaks first to you. He says he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, to his sheep, if you know Christ, this is him. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then it says he's gonna turn to the other side. And he's gonna speak to those on his left and he's gonna say, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared really for the, for the devil and his angels. And he's, he calls them cursed. Now, why are they blessed and cursed? They both ask Jesus this. Wait, they're kind of surprised. Why am I blessed? And, and listen to what he says. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we do this to you? When did we clothe you and feed you and welcome you? I don't remember seeing you at all. And he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he says the same thing to those who are cursed. He says, for you didn't clothe me. You didn't feed me. You didn't take care of me. And they say again, Lord, when did we see you? And he says the same thing as much as you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters. So it's important to take a step back and say, who is Jesus evaluating whether they loved or not? Well, it's this phrase, brothers and sisters. It is absolutely true that we should live out acts of mercy to all people, right? We should do these things to everyone, all of humanity. But that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's talking about living this out to 
the least of his brothers and sisters, which is a phrase used exclusively by Jesus like this to refer to his followers. And why would he judge how people treated his followers? Think with me back to Matthew chapter 10 or Luke chapter 10. He sends his followers out on mission and says the test of how people receive the kingdom is how they receive you. You are the messengers of the kingdom. So when you come into a town proclaiming the kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus, repent and be saved, turn to Jesus. If they receive you and say, yes, I want this message, come into my home, let me take care of you, that's symbolic of them receiving your message. If they reject you, wipe the dust off your feet because they're rejecting the message that you have. Jesus is saying the same thing here. If you reject the followers of Jesus who are spreading his message, you're rejecting the message of Jesus. So it was a symbolic way of Jesus talking about how people responded to the message of the gospel. And how people responded to the good news message of the kingdom determined whether they were one of his or not. Jesus is saying that whether one is accepted into the kingdom or cast out of the kingdom for all eternity is based on how you receive his followers who are spreading his message. Now what's interesting is you hear those who are cast out. When did we see you? And you could almost hear in them this caveat. If I would have seen you, I would have done it because I would have known there would have been eternal consequences. If I would have known that was you and you were pulling a first century undercover boss, I would have been a whole lot better. And that's precisely the point Jesus wants to avoid. Because in that case, it would have not been from the heart. But what Jesus wants to test is from the heart, from the deepest core of their being when nobody's watching and it truly is one of the least, that's the sign of someone who has received the message of the kingdom. But then Jesus comes to a difficult part of this passage, but something that is a part of God's word, it's a part of what we believe, that there are eternal consequences to whether or not we receive or reject Jesus. And the consequence and punishment that Jesus gives here is centered on Jesus Christ himself. To those who are blessed and received him, he says, come into the kingdom with me forever. But to those who rejected him on this day and said, I don't want you on this day are going to have the same response and consequence on that day. You don't want him on this day, you don't get him on that day. So the reward is Jesus himself. The consequence is no Jesus for all eternity. Now the reward though, the reward, the hope, be hopeful because he's coming again. Your reward is Jesus himself. It's just like the best part of your honeymoon is not where you go, but it's the spouse you're there with. The reward of the blessed is being invited to share with Jesus in the kingdom he purchased. But then the punishment of the cursed is to depart from him forever. The best part of eternal life is being with God forever. What makes heaven so good is being with God. And that God will come out of heaven and bring heaven and earth together again in a new creation for all eternity. And the opposite of that, I was just talking to my kids about this this week. I said, what's the best part of heaven? They said it right. 
God. I said, so what's the worst part of hell? What's the worst part? And they're given all of the hell classic answers. The fire. The heat. The I said, no, no, no. What's the best part? God. So if that's the best part, what's the opposite of that? The worst part is being separated from God forever. Now, if you know Christ, this should give you hope. That Christ is returning as a shepherd to gather you to himself forever. Where you'll never be harmed, you'll never be hurt, you'll never sin, you'll never cry another tear because you will be in the presence of the one from whom all blessings flow. And you'll be together forever. But for all those who do not know Christ on this day, this should be a warning and an invitation. Now, we don't always heed warnings, right? But you go to a doctor and you hear, hey, cholesterol's a little bit high. Yeah, all right, well, I, I got time. Hey, blood pressure's a little high. Hey, you got this. Hey, when you really need to check this out. Well, you, you ignore all these little signs and warnings for a year and five and 10 and 30, and then the doctor says, you're in a lot of trouble. And then, hey, you, you're... Your lifespan's getting cut short here. We gotta do something now. And then you get urgent. Okay, I'm ready. What do I need to do? Well, there's not a lot we can do. What you needed to do was 30 years ago. We need to heed warnings when they come. This is why Jesus is speaking so pointedly about living on this day in light of that day. Don't assume you have more time. Don't numb yourselves with things in this life that so that you miss Jesus. Because on that day, Christ will come, and if you do not know him, you will be separated from him forever. And that's the natural consequence. If you choose in this life, I don't want Jesus, then God will give you exactly what you ask for. If in this life you say, I don't want you, God, I'll be my own God. God will patiently give you a life on this earth and you'll have invitations, and you'll have warnings, like if you're here this morning, you have right now. But if you repeatedly say, I want life on my own. I want to be my own God. I don't fully want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. I don't fully want to receive his goodness and his grace. Then one day, on that day, you will get exactly what you asked for. And you'll get to be your own God forever. And you will soon find out you are not the source of your own blessings. You do not have the power to create a good life. Because every blessing you take for granted now will be gone. Every common grace experience you have that you enjoy will be gone because it all flows from God's hand. So friends, this is hard. This is a tough and weighty message and it ought to be because that is how wonderful and beautiful the other side of it is. If this were a weak message on the hard side, then it would be a weak blessing on the other side. But because of how infinitely glorious the message is of hope and salvation and eternity with Jesus, it is equally weighty on the side of a warning and an invitation. Please turn to Jesus. Don't assume and don't wait. Today, you are invited to come to Jesus. 
turn away from yourself and say, Jesus, save me. I put my faith in you to be my savior. And for those of us who know him, let's be hopeful that he's coming back for us and let's be urgent today to share this message with people who need to hear it. People who need to hear, not be scared out of something one day, but need to be invited to consider, hey, we're living this day in light of that day. Can I show you how good and wonderful Jesus is? How you live on this day shows what you truly believe about that day. And I hope we're a church that looks forward to that day in hope and lives this day alert, faithful, and hopeful as we long for Jesus to return and make everything right again. Let's pray. God.